Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network, and I'm your host, Travis Tyler. And joining me here today is Brent and Gwen and Mr. Nelson. How are we doing, brothers? Doing great. Good. Yeah, doing and all right. Doing well. What's that? I said, doing all right. Doing well. Glad to be here. It's been a while since I've Jacob been on the Gwen, welcome back, friend. You've been I, think I took a little hiatus. Yeah. Even Brent got in a few more in between your last podcast, which is saying something since he's Bavo and has twice the responsibility of all of us on here. So, <laughs> I've almost been downgraded to a uh, special guest instead of co-host. <laughs> like Neil's well, kind of well, taking Brent, your spot. Did you, did you get one of those uh, special blue microphones? Cause that, <laughs> I do. Yeah. Yes, I do have one of the blue Yeti mics. We're, we're going to have to send Neil one in the mail. That, that's here. how you know you're legit, right? That's, that's right. right. Too legit. <laughs> All right. So speaking of being legit, I am legitimately not going to do my part of asking questions as much this time. I'm actually going to pass that mantle over to Neil this time since he is, while educated Southern Baptist and in love with the Southern Baptist Convention, I know, and appreciative of all they've done, sits in a chair of being an evangelical free in his current position, which, to be quite honest, is basically our first cousins denominational wise. I mean, you can't get as close theologically in DNA uh, than uh, E-Free and Southern Baptist. But you you drive this train today, Neil, and you ask us questions. And feel free to, uh, you know, how many conventions have you been to, by the way, Neil, before you get started? See, I, I would be a rookie. I've never been to a single one. So I'm excited to hear from you guys just what it's all about. Yeah, we, we needed somebody here because this is uh, this Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville is poised to be one of the largest Southern Baptist gatherings, and I would say, what, 15 years, 10 years at least? Uh, larger. I was going back historically about this, and at the moment, uh, I know uh, we have over 12,000 pre-registered for the convention, and I was going back historically at numbers, and I wrote this down. The last time that we have peaked over 12,000 uh, was back in 1997 at Dallas. We had 12,420 messengers. So it's been, it's it has been, been over two decades since we've had a convention this large. Yeah. What, what do you think that means? What, why, why are you seeing those kind of numbers this year? Yeah, I, I've got my thoughts on that. I think one, I think one COVID, uh, I think like a lot of things, COVID has increased the numbers. I know for myself, uh, my, my son plays soccer and there are tons of kids playing soccer there before our daughter plays T-ball and they're saying they've had way more kids than they've ever had before in either of those leagues. Uh, we're expecting the highest attendance for our VBS this summer. Trying to book someplace for vacation was difficult this year. And so I think coming on the backside of COVID, um, we're seeing some of that. Also, we're in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, there are certain areas uh, that typically have higher numbers. Orlando over the last two Orlando. to three decades has always had high numbers. Nashville has always had high numbers and Dallas has traditionally had high, had high numbers. So I think that's part of it. And then I think just our presidential election and just some of the issues. So that's, that's just my thoughts. Yeah. Well, and you, I mean, with, it kind of falls under the COVID category, but you know, we didn't have, we missed last year because of COVID. And so in many cases, we've got two years worth of business to attend to. So um, I think that that may be a small part of it as well. And there's lots of reasons to fight. So 
there's two things that draw Baptist out. It's a fight and food. And if you can bring the two together, food fights, it's even better. That's what we're best at. That's our spiritual gift. That and NASCAR, that's our gifts to the Christian world is in kingdom work is fights, food, and NASCAR. So those are generous gifts, generous gifts indeed. Well, well, let me ask you this as a guy who's never been to the convention, I, a, a couple of thoughts or questions that I have. I mean, one is just this for the average Southern Baptist is this is going to the convention some sort of a rite of passage or for the majority, will they not attend at all? And, and then for those who aren't going to attend, what is it like? What are some of the things you guys look forward to as, as people who've been before your favorite aspects of it? And, and maybe components that a guy like me who thinks of a convention and doesn't recognize some of the things that go on around it. Yeah. Describe those things to me. Yeah. So I'm looking at, I think this is my sixth or my seventh convention I've been to uh, as a pastor. And so generally speaking, uh, you're going to see a lot of at the national convention, you're gonna see a lot more pastors. So I don't know if you're gonna see as many just lay leaders. Uh, you will see. I mean, there's been times I have had lay leaders come with me to a convention, uh, deacons and things like that coming. Uh, but generally, you see a lot more pastors there. Uh, usually state conventions on the more local level like that, you're going to see a lot more lay leaders than just your, your average Southern Baptist. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, most people won't ever go to, um, to an SBC annual meeting, but, uh, but I'll say this, I mean, I'm like Jacob, I've taken lay leaders from the church with me before. And actually this year I have a pastor from our association that's going for his first time. And uh, I always like to try to take someone that's never been with me if I can. And, uh, every, every time I've taken someone with me, who's never been, they've always loved it. So, um, I've never, never had anyone come back, come back disappointed. But, uh, I think as far as things that, uh, that, that I, I really look forward to, I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of a, uh, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to this kind of stuff, I guess. And so, um, you know, I look forward, I look forward to all of it. <laughs> it's, it's all, it's all my favorite, the fights, the food and everything. But, uh, but no, you know, it's going to be a little bit different this year. And I know we're going to be getting into it, but the uh, IMB sending service was always the highlight of um, the, the convention for me. But um, again, back to the, back to the nerd category, um, even even when we get into the miscellaneous business and the new motions, man, I'm I'm there for all of it. <laughs> and those can be fun when the new motions hit the floor. Uh, there for several years, you know, I, I've lost count how many conventions I've been to. I've been to Dallas, Birmingham, Indianapolis, uh, Louisville, only for part of it because I had a family emergency during Louisville, which was in my backyard basically. Uh, but uh, at the time. I think that for for me, there's several things I love about the convention. I don't know if you asked that yet. I think you were more asking, is it mainly pastors, right? Is that what you the question well, well, was? But also, what is it like describing it for those of us who've never been? Never been, okay. So, so uh, the things you enjoyed about it as well is, is a part of that. If I had to describe it to everybody, what I would say is, first of all, you got to think about what is the Southern Baptist Convention. Of course, you can take an academic thing and say, well, it's a 175-year-old denomination that took a stance on uh, slavery years ago, changed its position on slavery and and on on the race issues that were surrounding that. Apologize for that later. And now it's kind of a big family, but in every family, you got people you love to see, cousins you love to see, and then you got people that, you know, 
whether or not you sit next to them at dinner is not going to be a big deal. Cause you know, so for me, it's kind of like a big, huge family gathering where we're all getting to see our friends that minister from all different parts of the country that we went to school with and that we keep in contact with, we got missions with and, and getting to reconnect with those guys. is such a joy and blessing for me. I would say, honestly, that's one of my favorite things about it. Uh, I like the swag booths, you know, swag stuff we all get uh, for free. But then I enjoy also, you know, some of the, some of the fights and some of the things going on. I want to actively participate in that. (laughs) I feel a personal responsibility to be a part of denominational life because denominational life in many ways has formed my think, helped form my thinking and my education and has contributed many ways to who I am today. And as Danny Aiken said, we have a responsibility to do that because he has a responsibility to do that. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that at graduation, but we all should be a part of that. Now, some churches decide not to participate. There's a very, there's a pastor here in the Tri-Cities that I respect greatly and love dearly. And I said, hey, man, you go into the convention because I was looking for a ride. My wife's not going with me, unfortunately. He's like, actually, we just keep to ourselves for better or for worse and in my opinion it's always for worse if churches just recluse to themselves and don't engage at any level pastors don't come together and we don't talk and pray together and we don't do you know sin conference together and I love hearing about our institutions, what they're doing, what, what they're involved with. I love seeing where we're commissioning out missionaries to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And of course, I love B21 lunches and dinner, alumni dinners. I get to go to two different alumni dinners because I was a part of two different schools. So I always get to pick and see what's on the docket and who. And then I, I get to decide who I'm going to go see. So anyway, those are a few of my favorite things. So Yeah, that's a good point, Travis. Um I mean, on a very foundational level, it's a business meeting, right? I mean, that that's what it is. But really, it's it's so much more than a business meeting. It's a networking opportunity. It's a time to worship and be fed. Um, it's a time to be equipped. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd have to agree with Brent. I think one of my favorite things is the sending service where we send new missionaries. Um, that's always the most encouraging. Um, it's also... Uh, one of the most heartfelt moments for me. And uh, at the same time, uh, I do like the business side of it. If, if, if I could describe it, it's, it's one big business meeting, but also attached to it is also equipping. You know, we have the, the pastor's conference or the SEND conference that's attached to it where we train pastors or youth leaders or, you know, just different people as well. And so it, it's hard to explain it fully but it really is like one big family gathering. And so sometimes it's really encouraging as we hear positive stories of the kingdom. And sometimes it can be, you know, fisticuffs, you know, and then sometimes you, you've always got, you know, I think of what was it? Duck dynasty, uh, that uncle Cy, you know, that crazy uncle, you've always got somebody like that who comes to the mic, like Wiley Drake or somebody who just random things. And so it really is just a mixed bag. But I think uh, as churches, as we cooperate for the mission of Christ, I think it's, it is a good thing because decisions get made by those in the room. And if you want your church to be a part of uh, living on mission and seeing the direction of the convention and the IMB or the North American Mission Board, whatever it may be, and focusing outward and reaching the and pushing back lostness, then that means you've got to be involved and you've got to speak into those issues. 
there is another layer to it. And I'll get into this just because I got to see this pulled back a little bit. I would also compare it to a university of Tennessee football game back when we were decent, which is not going to happen for another four more years at least. But, you know, you had people who were like seated up in the nosebleeds that are like wearing their orange and cheering everybody on. Then you got people that are like prospects that are, you know, could possibly play for the team. They're going to be there. And then you got like people who are committed, lifelong fans, been fans for years. But then you also got like the elevator upper decks for like the, the friends of the alumni who give lots and lots of money and have like, you know, buffets and things like that. So I got to be part of something called the um, Union Ice Cream Social one year that was different man that was like a whole that was like being up in the upper decks where they serve you know at ut you got to take the elevator up and all that uh so do you remember, uh, do you remember the year where sam rayner invited us to that lifeway dinner yeah yeah that kind of I felt horribly underdressed i was wearing was, just a polo yeah, and, man. I and mean, everybody's like, in suits and we're sitting right next to tom rayner and eric geiger and all these guys and thinking well, i wish i would have known i was this was like a you know white tie you know white coat affair here Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, there's this, there's this other layer of like, you know, I don't want to say like the more, I guess the institutional higher up deck area. So I've been a, I've been a fringe person and with that some, but not, uh, not, not regularly invited back, unfortunately. So anyhow, why? I don't know. So yeah, I guess we should move on. But the ice cream was good at the ice cream social. You know, I, I asked him too. I was like, so what is this? What is this union ice cream social? And one of them was like, oh, that's like a who's who of SBC. I was like, really? I was like, I was like okay, well, I'll go. I like ice cream and I like SBC guys. So let's we'll, we'll go with it. SBC leadership. So let's go with it. So anyway. Well, well, you got to have a taste at least, right? You got to have a taste. So. So looking at our time, in some ways, I would love to ask more about the SEND conference you're talking about. I had heard previously about the Pastors Conference. One other question in terms of layout, and then I want to get into one of the big things that I know you guys are going to be talking about this year is four different candidates for president. But, but when, when I see video clips online, I've seen video clips of, of messengers speaking at microphones. Um, I've seen video clips of people speaking on panels. How, do, how does sort of the business meeting aspect fit in with some of those more informational or de- development training pieces do those all happen kind of concurrently as they're going or are you breaking out into workouts what what is that like a little bit you know i think that the uh committee on order of business has always done a really good job sort of balancing the day and um you know all of those things are for the most part happening in the room that jacob mm-hmm. talks about i mean there are um, there are things happening in auxiliary locations, you know, different seminaries may have panels or things of that nature at their booth. But um, in the actual meeting hall, um, there's always going to be um, some panels. I think there's a go to panel this year, maybe. Um, but they, they the committee on order business really tries to balance that out to where. Um, there is time in worship, there's time in the word, there's time equipping, and then there's a time for business sort of sprinkled in that. So um, the I think the time for new motions, I'm not looking at the program, so um, this is, certainly isn't exact, but I think it may happen on like Tuesday morning or something, and then election officers might be uh, it's usually Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday afternoon, yeah. And so you know, there's different times for business across the two days, um, but you're going to have seminary reports sprinkled in there. Um, you're going to have Godstone reports in there. Um, 
IMB, North American Mission Board. All the um, institutes. Yeah, yeah all, all, the, all the institutions are going to be, be sprinkled in there. And uh, then, like I say, there's going to be, there's going to be some preaching. There's a, um, there's a message every year. But then, really, the president's address is a sermon um, as much as it is. Yeah. And when you, yeah, I think when you get the like schedule. Saying, there's usually sorry. lots of – oh, go ahead, Travis. I was just going to say, when you get the schedule, it is planned out to, like, every almost five, 15-minute block when we're doing business. Like, it is – and, and that sounds like how in the world can you keep 12,000 people on task? But believe it or not, it pretty well runs by the schedule. The trains run on time, nine times out of 10 at the convention. Well, uh, I, I was going to say, you know, that, you know, that the pastor's conference or the sin conference, you tend to see a lot more equipping in the, that day. And so that day, there's a lot more equipping options, like you're saying, Neil. And then when we get to the convention itself. Those are the two other days. It's Tuesday and Wednesday. That's where you're going to see a lot of the business like Brent and we're talking about and Travis. You're going to hear a lot of the reports of great commission work happening through the different entities and things like that. That's where you see the votes, um, new business election, things like that. That's where the business side of it, it is. And sometimes on the outside, uh, you know, there's like an exhibit hall with vendors and different things going on. Usually there's like a, a booth with just different, uh, um, you know, panel discussions and usually they have that planned out and scheduled. And so that's usually on, on the, during the pastor's conference and usually the first part of the, the first day of business. But, uh, but yeah, there's, there's, there is a lot to be involved with uh, and it can almost be inundating if you let it. It takes a lot of people to pull a, a national Southern Baptist convention off. A lot of volunteer hours are going to be going in to Nashville this next few weeks to, to get this thing going. Well, it sounds incredible. And, it, and we probably, probably should steer towards maybe the big discussion piece of the episode here is, is you've got four guys running for or nominated for, or to be nominated because technically they're not nominated yet. Correct. But uh, yeah, technically they'll be nominated. And then technically there could be another candidate come up on the floor too. So we know these four people, but more could be nominated as well. And there we've got Randy Adams, Ed Litton, sorry if I got that name wrong, Al Moeller and Mike Stone. You know, again, as an outsider and having just come off a national presidential election with all its acrimony that goes along with that, what, what is the presidential election process like in the SBC and, and where do four different guys come from? So how do these different guys get nominated? Are there things they represent? J- Jacob, I'll, I'll hand this over to you, but I, I just want to sort of add a point of clarification because I think it's important. But, you know, and often when you do use the terminology, you know, you've got two guys or three guys or four guys or whatever, and we'll say running for president. But one of the things that's interesting that the SBC has sort of always prided itself on is that guys don't really run, right? There's there's not really supposed to be any campaigning. And now that's you might have started to see that change a little bit in the past few years, but that, to, to my disappointment, that has definitely changed this year. You have at least a couple guys that are actively campaigning to become president, and that's that's kind of against the tradition of what we do. But, but Jacob, I'll let you go ahead and, and talk about the guys. Yeah, I was going to say, generally, like Brent was saying, you know, I, I hate saying running for president um, because in, in the in years past, you might have one, two guys nominated – and it wasn't so much a run. They might just literally share their vision for the upcoming year or two that they were nominated. And people knew those individuals. They knew their character. And that just drove the conversation. And this year's a little different because this year you have people like, like Brent was saying who are actively running. And so, so these four individuals, right, 
you've got some guys that are in similar camps, some guys that are out, you know, in different camps as well. Um, but really typically what that looks like, Neil, is, is that these guys are, are nominated by, by another pastor or denominational leader. And usually they just kind of share their vision for what they're really hoping for uh, over the next year or two for the convention, or maybe some initiatives that they're pushing towards uh, or even some changes they want to make. And that really drives um, the messengers on just prayerfully thinking about who they're going to vote for. You want a good hype guy. You know what I mean? If you're a presidential candidate, the guy that's going to introduce you, you need him to hype you up. Not just like he's, he's got to give you the track record of the candidate, but then he's also got to give you a little, a little taste and see of what it's going to be like under his leadership. So he's got to do a good job. Yeah. So, so, so I was reading on these guys, I, an article I found online that, that sort of presented the four different nominees from the pathways, which I don't, I don't know what that, that website is for, but um, in terms of perspectives, but but they each seem to mention a couple of things. They mentioned the inerrancy of the word and they mentioned the great commission as being driving forces. So beyond that, how, how do you begin to differentiate these guys or, or how are, how are each of them unique when, when again, from what they stated in a brief article where each guy got about a paragraph, they seem to be speaking the same language. What makes each of these guys potentially distinct or, or what's driven some of the campaigning you're hearing in the SBC world this year? Yeah. So, you know, I, like you mentioned that particular website, I, I saw earlier today that the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood had five or six questions they asked every candidate and they responded, you know, their view on the inerrancy of scripture and sufficiency of scripture, their view on uh, women in ministry and, and roles within the family. And, and by and large, uh, every single one of them had identical views on complementarian views, views of, of scripture and its sufficiency and authority in our lives. And so, so really you're looking at, and generally in the convention, that's what you're going to, that's what you're going to get, right? You're, you're theologically, you're looking at a very similar aspect. We, we align theologically. That's why we are Southern Baptist. Really the question then is kind of really just practical. Uh, we, we align, we're Orthodox in, in belief, but when it comes to orthopraxy, how is it that we're seeing the methodology of how we carry out these mission and carry out our vision? And so that's where you see some difference. Um, so for instance, I know and we can walk through all four of these candidates and everybody can jump in, but um, you know, we'll just start with Randy Adams. I know Randy Adams, he's a, he's the executive director with the, the Northwestern Baptist convention out, uh, out in Washington and Oregon. And, you know, he was a church planner. He was a pastor. Um, his dad was a missionary with the IMB. So he, he comes from that background, and I know his desire is he wants to see more transparency among trustees. He wants to see more transparency in the entities. Uh, he, he wants to see some of the flow of money. It, are our cooperative program dollars being used well? And I know he wants to see us focus more on, on missions. And so I know that's, that's really his background. I, I don't know. Um, we were talking about this a, a minute ago is uh, when it comes to that vote, who, who's going to the voting process is unusual too. And, and I don't think he's going to make it past the first ballot. That's just my thoughts. Um, I don't know if you guys want to chime in on some of that or not. For people who may not be familiar, it's important to note that when we talk, when you mentioned like first ballot and we're, there's going to be more than one ballot because in order to be elected president, you have to have 50% plus one, I believe it yeah, is. Right? 50% plus one vote. And so um, not, none of these four guys are going to get 50% on the first ballot. But as far as, as, far as Randy Adams goes, um, you know, the, 
I, I, I sort of view him, I guess this is my opinion, I think there might be several that agree. He's kind of the outsider, right? The grassroots he's movement. Kind of Ralph Nader. I, kind I of agree deal, with that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, he's the outsider that says, "Hey, you know, I'm not one of the, I'm not one of the boys. You know, I'm not one of the uh, luxury suites in Knoxville for the Tennessee game kind of guys, and uh, and I just want to bring transparency to what's going on in those luxury suites." <laughs> yeah, he he definitely strikes me that way. But I, based on everything I've read about him, I like him. He seems to have a lot of integrity about him and oh, yeah. his ministry. And uh, Dr. Fuller is going to be presenting him. And granted, he's a little bit of a controversial figure, I guess, in SBC right now. But I gleamed a lot from Dr. Fuller's teachings at Southern. So like Dr. Fuller, you know, for the most part there, and I'm not sure what all happened, but, um, you know, I'm sure some of that only the Lord and Southern and him know. But anyway, that seems to be a big thing that they push. Transparency, transparency, transparency. And that's kind of what I would say he's running on, his big ticket. So, yeah, I'd agree. And then, you know, with Ed Litton, I mean, he I've definitely heard a lot of people describe him as middle of the road. Um, but for me, he's more of the visionary candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say progressive, but I know that's a dangerous word, <laughs> um, it, depending on how you use the word progressive. But, you know, for, for me, he's the one um, that is really talking about, Hey, let, let's let's move forward and let's let's see what we can do to make sure that Southern Baptists aren't just surviving ten years down the road, but we're we're thriving ten years down the road. Includes part one of twenty twenty one Southern Baptist Convention preview for the Appalachian Baptist Network. Please tune in next week for the conclusion of this discussion. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.